welcome to session four in our study of Colossians. We're going to be finish up, finishing up chapter one today. And so far in chapter one, we've taken a pretty in-depth view of the scriptures. It's as if we've been looking at the verses through a microscope. We've been examining every detail. Now, though, I think it would be beneficial to broaden our perspective and, and take a look at Colossians chapter one from a bird's eye view, if you will. Because I believe in chapter one, Paul is laying the groundwork for the rest of the letter. I mean, he begins in chapter one in verses one through 14 by encouraging the Colossian church. He's encouraging them and their faith in Jesus and the love that they have for each other. Then he moves on in verses 15 through 23 to focus on who Jesus is reminding them that the foundation of their faith is God, God himself, that Jesus is the creator of all things, and he is the head of the church. And now, in verses 24 through 29, we're going to see that he wants them to know more about himself. Paul wants to make it clear to them that the instructions that he's about to give them in chapters 2 through 4 that they're not just something he's drummed up in his own head so he can lord it over them. But the wisdom that he's about to impart comes from God. And that the reason that he's doing all this is because of his love for Jesus and his love for them as his brothers and sisters in the faith. I mean, this approach is the way that any good teacher would do it. Think for a moment about your favorite teacher when you were a kid. What were they like? Were they the kind of person that stood in front of the class and barked out instructions to you? Or were they the kind of person that showed you they cared about you, invested time and energy to encourage you and to impart wisdom to you? Well, that is who Paul is. He not only cares about God's word, but he cares about them. And we're going to see that clearly in this passage. So beginning in verse 24, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. And it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So it tells us in verse 24 that Paul has definitely suffered much for the sake of the gospel. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verses 23 through 28, Paul gives a clear description of just how much he has suffered for the church of Christ and for the sake of Jesus. It says that he's been imprisoned. He's suffered countless beatings, often to the point of death. Five times he received 39 lashes. Three times he's been beaten with rods. He was stoned, shipwrecked. He faced danger from everywhere, even from his own people. He's gone without food, water, and shelter, as well as having the constant pressure of trying to reach the people with the gospel and help build up the church. 
yet he still rejoices, it says here. How? How is it that he is able to rejoice in the midst of such difficulty? Well, because to him, it's all worth it. His conviction about Jesus as the Savior of the world is so strong. He's so certain about his calling that he's willing to suffer because it brings him joy to see the gospel bearing fruit. He rejoices that that he can see the church of God growing. Paul's ultimate goal in life is following Jesus, even if it means he's going to have to suffer to do it. But you see, that's the unique thing about following Jesus. It, It might bring about suffering and difficulty, but Jesus brings us joy in the midst of it. So are we as passionate about following Jesus? Are we as willing to follow him, even if it costs us? And so it goes on to say in this verse that that Paul is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this phrase lacking in Christ's afflictions, it's not saying that Christ's sufferings were somehow insufficient or that his sacrifice was incomplete. The sacrifice for our sins was completed in Jesus. But his followers are still going to have to suffer while they're here on earth. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. So that word lacking means that suffering for the sake of Christ is not finished. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says it this way, Christ continues to suffer when Christians suffer for him. Jesus asks Saul when he encounters him on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, why are you persecuting me? Since the church is Christ's body, he is affected when it is affected. Jesus, just as Christ suffered pain and affliction in his body while on earth, his body, the church, will also suffer affliction. One thing I really appreciate about God's word is the fact that God always tells us the truth always. He doesn't try to sugarcoat things or whitewash the facts to make it more palatable. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, flat out tells us that being a follower of Jesus is not going to be easy. The world, our flesh, Satan, all became our enemies when we became Christians. But it also tells us that it's all worth it. I mean, remember what second, the Second Corinthians passage told us. Jesus gives us abundant comfort when we suffer. We get to experience supernatural peace while we suffer. And we have the confidence of knowing that we're doing the right thing. Second Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So suffering is not for nothing. Something will come of it. And so in verse 25, it says that God, that, that God has given Paul a stewardship. 25, it says that he's received the stewardship from God that was given to him to make the word of God fully known. And so the task of making the word of God fully known has been given to Paul And he is taking great care to ensure that he does that to the best of his ability. And just like Paul has been given stewardship, you and I have also been given tasks. We are also stewards of the things of God. 
If we are Christians, then we are part of the body of Christ. And every part of the body has a job or a function to perform. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes growth of the body for building itself up in love, the proper working of each individual part. A body works best when every part is functioning well. So we must never assume that our part is of little worth. We must never think that our part has no value to the kingdom of God. Personally, I think God is more concerned with the heart that's humble and willing to follow him than with any grand gesture. Sometimes the smallest parts can have the greatest impact. I mean, your little toe is a pretty small part of your body, but we've all experienced the coursing pain searing through our bodies when we stub it. Small does not mean insignificant. And so in verse 26, we see that this mystery that's been hidden for all ages and hidden for generations is now revealed, now revealed to his saints. So what mystery? What mystery is he referring to? Well, in verse 27, it clearly says, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, for generations, people had been waiting for Messiah to come. Prophets throughout the Old Testament foretold of Messiah's coming. And Paul is telling him that Messiah has come. Now the mystery of salvation through Jesus Christ has been revealed, and it has been revealed to all people. And that's significant because the idea that the mystery of, of Jesus being the Savior, um, the fact that that's been made known to everyone, um, here Paul is refuting a certain form of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a particular heretical teaching, and it teaches that there's a secret mystery that only a small group of exclusive people were privy to. And Paul is clearly stating that this mystery is to be made known to everyone. It is available to all people. And in verse 27, it tells us this: this mystery, along with, with knowing this mystery, comes glorious riches. There are riches, glorious riches, to be found in this mystery. Now, we know they're not physical riches, but they're spiritual riches. I mean, think about it for a moment. Imagine what it means to have Christ in us. The creator of the universe, the Lord of all things, has chosen you. He has chosen you to dwell in. He has chosen me to dwell inside of. And because of that, we can have hope. We can have the hope of glory. So how does this knowledge that Christ is with us every day and everywhere, how does that impact our lives in a practical sense? I mean, how does that look for us from day to day? Well, I encountered a situation this week where I had to face that very question. You see, I was watching a news program and, and there were two panel members and they were discussing their political views. Each member held a contrasting view. But rather than focusing on the topic at hand, one member began attacking the personal character and integrity of the other member. Rather than sticking to the topic and discussing the issues, it devolved into a personal attack instead of a debate. And as I continued to watch, I became more and more indignant. 
I began to imagine how I would respond if I was in that situation. I began to think about all the sarcastic retorts I would have fired off if I was there. I fantasized about putting that other person in her place and making her feel guilty for all the things that she's done. I felt my righteous indignation was well justified. But then this verse began to seep into my consciousness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, the wind slowly left my sails as the Holy Spirit reminded me that life is not about witty retorts. It's not about getting the upper hand or proving a point. It's about Christ in me. It's about living a life that reflects the hope that we have in Christ. That's why Paul was able to rejoice in suffering. I mean, remember, he's in prison right now because his hope outweighed his difficulty, and it can for us too. Now, in verse 28, it tells us that, that they proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that they may present everyone mature in Christ. So they warn everyone and they teach everyone. So the implication here is that even though this great mystery has been revealed to us, even though Christ is within us, we still are going to need to be warned of things and we still are going to need to be taught. Think about when you go to the beach. Have you ever been to the beach and, and have you ever seen a big sign in red letters that says, warning, swim at your own risk, rip currents? Well, why do you think they put a warning sign there? Well, obviously, because it's dangerous and they want people to know about it. So just because Christ lives within us, it doesn't mean that we automatically know everything there is to know about being a Christian. There is always things that we need to be warned about, and there is always things that we need to learn. As Christians, we must continue to grow and learn, no matter how old we are or how long we've been living or walking with Jesus. I've studied these verses over and over again, and yet I still find something new. Even Paul studied the Old Testament. I mean, his letters in the New Testament are based on his study of the Old. We must ground ourselves in God's Word, because just as there are false teachers in Paul's day, there are false teachers in ours. And so our goal here is spiritual maturity as it says in verse 28. So why? I mean, why is it important to be a mature Christian? Well, it means our focus is no longer on achieving personal gain or happiness, but instead it's on living a life that pleases the Lord. Mark 10, 43 through 45 says, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So being a mature Christian is actually doing the opposite of what human nature tells us, because human nature tells us, do what feels right, follow your heart, do what's best for you. But godliness means putting others before ourselves, sacrificing our needs and wants for theirs because we know that that is where true happiness, that is where true fulfillment can be found. And so verse 29 tells us that Paul toils and he struggles. He toils and he struggles with 
with all his energy that, that powerfully works within him. So Paul toils and struggles to proclaim and teach the gospel. Following Jesus takes effort. But Paul has a wonderful ability to see the big picture. I mean, he toils and he struggles, yet he is thankful. Do you see the counterbalance here that's going on in chapter one? I mean, he toils, yet he is thankful. He struggles, yet he is joyful. He suffers, yet he rejoices. You see, for every negative that life can throw at us, Jesus has a positive. And Paul knows that he doesn't focus. He's, his focus is not on his present circumstances. His focus is on what God does, what God can do through him. And he also knows that sometimes God chooses us to go through something hard in order to display his glory through us. That's why Paul can rejoice in suffering, because he knows for the Christian, it's never for nothing. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, they who navigate little streams and shallow creeks know but little of the God of the tempest. But they who do business in great waters, these see his wonders in the deep. So if we want to see the wonder-working power of God, then we must be willing to go deep. For Paul, the goal was more important than the comfort. For him, it was worth the struggle. And frankly, I find it encouraging to know that Paul toils and struggles to follow Jesus because I think sometimes I put Paul on a pedestal. Uh, sometimes I think of Paul as this super Christian and that life for him was somehow easier than it is for the rest of us. But he toiled too, just like me. But he realizes that he's been given strength and energy by God himself to accomplish his task. And the same energy and the same strength that God gives him, he also gives to us. God will never give us something to do without giving us the strength in which to do it. So Paul is clear that it is not by his own merit and not by his own ability that he's able to accomplish these great things for the Lord. It is by Jesus' strength and Jesus working through him. Therefore, Jesus gets the glory. So, in closing this week, the challenge that I'd like to give us is to answer this question. What do you strive for? Do we strive for happiness or do we strive for godliness? Happiness is temporary, but godliness is eternal. And so, before we close our time together, um, I want to take a moment to share something. I want to share just how thankful I am for my dear husband, Greg. When I say this podcast would not be possible without him, I am not exaggerating. Those who know me know just how inept I am when it comes to technology. But Greg has used his gifts to make this entire thing possible. And I think it's a beautiful example of what we've been learning about the church being the body of Christ, because sometimes the most important parts of the body are the parts we can't see. So I will forever be grateful to him. Well, on that note, we will close for now. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again as we continue our study in Colossians. God bless you.